The Shamrock is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Notre Dame ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. You can even find tickets to some of the great concerts at Notre Dame Stadium. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download GameTime and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Welcome to the latest episode of the Shamrock. Pete Sampson joined by Matt Fortuna. I'm in uh, lovely South Bend. Matt is in lovely Manhattan. We both covered blowouts yesterday. One way more surprising than the other. Uh, Matt, so what, what did you think of, of Ohio State Rutgers? That was the big surprise. That was a big surprise. Rutgers covered. <laughs> They've had, I think, two covers all year. And they uh, scored 21 points, which is tied for the most anyone had scored against Ohio State all year. And they'd only had 24 points in Big Ten play all season. So uh, be on guard, Buckeye fans. And Nittany Lions and uh, Michigan are, are on this that schedule next. And I don't know if they'll be as kind as uh, Rutgers was. Good on you, Scarlet Knights. Well done. Um, I was here for Notre Dame 52, Navy 20. It was not nearly that close, which is saying something because it was a 32-point win. Um, Notre Dame was up 45-3. to during the third quarter, up 52-10 to 10 early in the fourth quarter after Paul Moella's fumble recovery where he essentially intercepted an option pitch. Um, it was as clinical as, and efficient as Notre Dame has looked all year. Uh, I don't even think there's a close second to this one. Um, and I get, you know, look, college coaches like to tell you that one play makes a trend or one week makes a trend. I think that's, you know, kind of, oversimplifying and a little bit wishful thinking, but two games and one game winning drive to me does make a trend and Notre Dame suddenly is playing good football, which is not something I thought that uh, certainly we didn't see it in Ann Arbor, not even close, but I don't think we saw much of it in September and before Michigan either. So Notre Dame suddenly is sitting here. Boston college visits next weekend. Boston college has no defense whatsoever. Their defense is the statistical equivalent of Bowling Green and then I go to Stanford, who is just a complete mess. So I think this podcast has sort of gone back and forth with like, yeah, can Notre Dame go 10 and 2? Can they not? And I mean, now it's a hard yes. I would, at this point, I would never be more surprised if Notre Dame didn't go 10 and 2 than I am right now based on how they're playing, not just yesterday, but Duke and the game winning drive against Virginia Tech. I would have to agree with you 100%. I mean, this is the best football they've played all year. Uh, to do it in a stretch, two games, three games, however you want to call it, um, I agree with you that that does that that is a sign of, of turning a corner and growing and maturing as a football team. And even that Virginia Tech game, I mean, Virginia Tech looks like a really good team right now. Yeah. By the way, I mean that's the only loss the Hokies have had since that Duke catastrophe in Week Three or Week Four. Um, it, it's just crazy how, especially with eighteen to twenty-two year olds, you see it at Notre Dame, you saw it at Minnesota earlier this year, you see it everywhere. It doesn't really matter how you win, but but you know when you do get that win, uh, all the good vibes and momentum and everything else that comes your way just seems to fall into place. I mean, can you imagine if Ian Book did get stopped on that that third and short run against the Hokies, coming off the Michigan loss, coming off all the questions about his play and leadership, 
I mean, I don't even want to think about like the, the, the catastrophe that Notre Dame would, would find itself in uh, and the deep, dark hole they might be in after that. But uh, we came out of that game very ambivalent on their chances to go 10-2. and two. But after seeing them the last two weeks, particularly Ian Book the last two weeks, who looks like the quarterback I think every Notre Dame fan was hoping they would see throughout the season, you have to feel good about the direction of this team the rest of the season. Yeah, I thought that, I mean, there's a lot to unpack from yesterday for Notre Dame. Ian Book was by far the best he's been all year. He, I mean, he looked like the quarterback who justified the story that I wrote about him in August. Um, that, you know, can you be a damn game changer? Because he was. 14-20, uh, 284, five touchdowns. Led Notre Dame with just 31 yards rushing, which is, you know, a separate issue. Uh, maybe we can get into later or in a separate podcast. But he... He was one of the differences. He figured out how to, you know, really maximize Chase Claypool. Chase Claypool finished with seven receptions for 117 and four touchdowns. And I think I had him on the field for, I think, 19 or 18 passing plays. So that's a pretty good pro- uh, production percentage uh, for a guy that uh, I think is making himself some money um, down the stretch here. But I think one of the dynamics, and I asked Brian Kelly about this after the game. It's you know you you had mentioned Virginia Tech. Um, they've sort of found themselves a little bit. Michigan clearly, what they did in the second half against Penn State is sticking. Um, and I think Notre Dame has sort of found themselves a little bit too. And it uh, Brian Kelly asked him after the game. You know, different teams find their strides at different times. So why is this team finding its stride right now? Uh, and he talked about the Michigan performance and how the players prepared but did not were unable to sort of flip the switch to, to turn it on to perform. And the way he described it, um, you know, the quote was basically, they learned it, that at Michigan. They learned that it's not just about preparation. You can work as hard as you want, but you have to flip the switch. They didn't at Michigan. They learned how to do that in that game, that you have to flip the switch. So that time they learned how to do it. They're going to be tough down the stretch. It's a lot of they's there in, in that sentence. Mm. Um and you know, not much in the we category, but I think it says to something about his faith in the offensive staff. Certainly, Clark Lee is sort of beyond reproach at this point on the defensive side of the ball. But to me, I came away thinking like Brian Kelly sees the issues with Notre Dame this season to this point as a, maybe a little bit more player driven than coach driven. Um, that the game plan was there the whole time, and they they needed the players to actually act on it. Um, I'm not sure if I totally agree with that 100%, but it's sort of, to me, I don't think I'm reading it too much into that quote to come away thinking like that gives me some insight into the mindset of Brian Kelly about why, you know, Notre Dame wasn't clicking uh, on all cylinders early in the season and why they are now. He, he gives a lot of the credit to the players now, but uh, I, I think that ultimately points back to the players, maybe not in his mind, at least not stepping up to the plate in September and early October. That is a lot of days just to hear you relay that quote. I mean, I, I was having, I'm, I will throw 2016 out of the book right now because everything about that season w- was crap. And, and there was, you know, Brian <laughs> Kelly couldn't say anything or do anything right. This, you know, however much he, however much criticism he earned or deserved when it came to throwing players under the bus publicly. But when you were saying they uh, over and over again, I was having flashbacks to 2015, the Clemson game. I just vividly remember after losing what was a winnable game against a team that came within a play of winning it all that year, um, post game or, or Sunday or Monday or Sunday, I think on the teleconference, it just really stuck out in my mind how much he said, I told them you ruined a chance at the playoff. You ruined this. It, it was just very like, 
you did this, not me. <laughs> and I was having flashbacks to that um, as you were relaying that quote, which, you know, we're probably reading too much into this, having covered this guy for, for the better part of a decade now. But, um, you know, you have, what, seven or eight captains? Like, that shouldn't be an issue, should it? <laughs> no, I, and I don't – his his discussion about Ian Book I thought was incredibly interesting because he was sort of – you know, he sort of gave the um, – the interview answer when it's like, tell me about your greatest flaw. And he was, you know, he described the team as like, they care too much. Um, and I'm like, okay, I mean, but <laughs> I'm not like, I'm not really sure what that means, but you know, he said that Ian book kind of got swallowed up by criticism and the outside noise. And maybe he got swallowed up by some of the criticism from his own coaches. Um, you know, the, I think the way that Brian Kelly and chip long have sort of run the offense this year is tough. I mean, that's, that's how they are, though, as coaches. I think you have to deal with that as a player. It's not at this point. It should not be a surprise that Brian Kelly and Chip Long are hard on their players. Um, but it sounds like Ian Book maybe had to figure out. Okay, wait. How do I have to process this? Because last year, I was just sort of here and having a good time. I was, you know, I was part of the solution, and now people are saying I'm part of the problem. How do you how do you get over that as a player? I think is a little bit tricky. Um, so I don't know. Maybe he, Brian Kelly seemed to intimate that. Um, Ian Book has sort of found a switch. I think I even he used the term switch to handle criticism from the outside, and, and maybe some of that is figuring out how to process a little bit better or more efficiently what he's hearing from his head coach and his offensive coordinator. I'm not sure about that. I mean, let's face it. Last year he was playing with house money in, in some sense. Right. I mean, no one expected anything of this guy. And I mean, you know. I don't say it's to throw anyone under the bus or, or to criticize him, but let's face it. like It's not like Brandon Wimbush was lighting the world on fire the year and a half before he finally lost his starting job. I mean, I don't think there were any grand plans behind the scenes that uh, when, when Wimbush is out of here, Ian Buck's going to be the guy to take us to the college football playoff. No, I mean, I saw Chip Long on the field after the West Wake Forest game, and he just kind of shook his head like, I had to do something, and it worked. Uh, like, I, I don't think the – the staff expected the offense to take off the manner it did. And, and the fans certainly did not I mean, you know, the guy was not a very highly recruited prospect, um, but, but things just looked really, really smooth offensively last year in the regular season. And so naturally when you come back with all that experience and with a, an undefeated regular season record on your resume, um, you're expecting, you're expected at least from the outside world to take that next step. And I'm sure Brian Kelly and Chip Long expected that as well. Having gotten their hands on a, a quarterback, uh, with starting a full season, really, of starting experience. So uh, it, it's been a weird kind of career path, if you will, for Ian Buck, just because uh, he's one of the few, at least in my time covering the team, that did not come in with a whole lot of hype. But um, his, his, you know, in some seasons overachieved, in a season like this, probably like, I don't know, what, what's the, the, the middle ground between overachieve and underachieve? Just achieve. I mean, I think he's been pr- pretty good, not unbelievable. But, um, you know, I, I think anytime you have this big of a body of work, at least from the fan base, I mean, they're going to find things to pick apart with you. I mean, Trevor Lawrence is getting picked apart by Clemson fans. Jake Fromm's getting picked apart by Georgia fans. It's, you know, the, the, the longer you are in one place, the, the more visible and vulnerable you are. And um, especially at a place like Notre Dame, that's going to happen. And uh, I'm sure the staff expects more out of him because they expect more out of everyone. And that's just kind of part of uh, what you sign up for when you're, when you're in this position, for better or worse. Long day at work, tough day at school, still stuck at the office? Treat yourself to the meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. DoorDash connects you to your favorite restaurants in your city. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, 
and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the promo code SHAMROCK. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter the promo code SHAMROCK. Don't forget that's promo code SHAMROCK for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. Yeah, and that, uh, he's been picked apart by opposing defensive coordinators as well. I, I mean, there's there's a way to defend Ian Book, um, and until he shows that he can beat you when you try to defend him that way, um, he's going to be in trouble. But I think that's sort of that's sort of the big development for me over the last two weeks is he's found a way to beat teams that sort of have defended his tendencies. Um, you know, against Duke, it was a lot of man to man. They took a to try to take some things away, um, you know, on the intermediate stuff. He threw a, f- a couple deep shots, and then he ran the ball a bunch, and that was a good way to beat him. Against Navy, sup- a supposedly a very aggressive gambling-style defense, there was a lot of deep shots. Um, and, you know, the 70-yarder to Braden Lindsey, that, that's something that you put on tape where teams suddenly have to be like, okay, we have to back up a little bit. Because, I mean, you could sort of defend Notre Dame's offense in a 20-yard box for most of the season. You didn't have to worry about anything beyond 20 yards. Um, now, if, if Lindsey is certainly, suddenly back to life here, you do. And that's a, that's a big difference because you have suddenly some speed on the outside and you have a quarterback who believes he can get it to that speed when he's, when he's going deep. So that's, that's a big deal. Um, you know, defensively, I'm not even sure what to say about Clark Lee anymore that we haven't already said. Um, if the Bro- if the Broyles Award is listening to this podcast, I have Clark Lee's contact information. I'm happy to get it to you if you want to put him on uh, your list of semifinalists this year because that is a, just a, a an egregious oversight by that award at this point because he's having just an incredible season as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. Well, the schools are, are supposed to nominate. I'm not saying Notre Dame didn't nominate. I don't know that, but um, they probably didn't make a strong enough case because absolutely he should be on there, at least amongst the top 41. I have a vote for, I think, the semifinalists. They said they would send me something once they were going to whittle things down, but that one's a head-scratcher. By the way, uh, the Unitas Award, uh, which goes to the best fourth- or fifth-year quarterback release, it's list of five finalists over the weekend. Ian Book is not on it, and it's funny because he was named to the semifinalists for that uh, the week after the Michigan game. And I yeah. tweeted it like just Timing. like plain text. Timing and like, I'm still getting mentioned saying like, Oh, they're idiots. Oh, you know, you're talking about oh, ha, ha. their name sucks. And like, they're like, yeah, as if I'm like Johnny Unitas, but um, they, uh, now I'm like looking at him like, wait, after yesterday, maybe they should have waited. Cause he looked really damn good. And I think that just goes to show how fickle, you know, even people like me and you can be when it comes to evaluating quarterback play, because it's really, you're really evaluated. Um, Based, you're only as good as your last game, so to speak. And um, the last two games, Ian Book has looked like uh, the quarterback everyone wanted to be at Notre Dame for 2019. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, the all field throws is is impressive. Um, you know, one thing that came up in post game yesterday, which you know, I think it's it's notable, even though Boston College is is pretty bad and Stanford might even be worse, um, is that Notre Dame's going without Robert Hainsey. Tommy Kramer on the right side of the offensive line. They're going out with Dalen Hayes as they have been for a while. Oh, they're out now. They're out Julian Aquara as well. Um, I mean, that's not a it's not a playoff roster. I don't think it was a playoff roster when the, the season began. But to me, I, I think you know, I, I hesitate to say like Notre Dame would be 
overachieving at 10 and 2 because it certainly doesn't feel that way. But I don't feel like they're underachieving at 10 and 2 either, if that makes sense. It, it's, I think it goes back to the point you were making earlier about book. It's like it's hard to describe a team as just achieving, but I feel like that's sort of where Notre Dame is trending right now. That sounds accurate, and we base so much of this on the schedules. I mean, 2018, we thought they were doomed because they had to play Florida State. They had to play Syracuse at Yankee Stadium. They had to play you know, a, a November schedule where they're going to be in three different cities week after week. And, you know, all these other teams that, you know, at Virginia Tech that, let's face it, Virginia Tech, uh, Florida State, USC, all these brand names that they played in 2018 had historically bad seasons. And so you never really know until you're coming in. And so naturally coming into this year, I had nine and three like most people because at Georgia was probably going to be a loss. At Michigan was probably going to be a loss. And at Stanford was probably going to be a loss because they haven't won there uh, in the Brian Kelly era. So uh, that was my line of thinking. And, I mean, you know, I hate to say this out loud because they should absolutely beat Stanford, but that's still very possible. I mean, you know, they go 9-3 and three and they lose those three games. But I think how well they looked against Georgia, which – Sounds like most seasons, right, where we give Notre Dame credit for their best win being a close loss on the road to like a team that's <laughs> going to be in the playoff, but that's really what it looked like the first half of the season. Coupled with how Michigan looked before that, the second half of that Penn State game a week earlier, I mean, I went into that game in Ann Arbor thinking Notre Dame should win this game, and they will win this game, and they just didn't even show up. And that was that's the part that I think still sticks with people and is going to be tough for people to swallow no matter how they finish at the end of the season. Um I wouldn't go as far to say they underachieved because, look, on their best day and on Michigan's best day, which that was, I don't know if Notre Dame wins that game in Ann Arbor. We just had not seen that from Michigan really all season, so I did not expect that to happen. But but to come off a bye, your last game against Michigan and, you know, a lot of people's lifetimes, um, I just – that's going to stick with people when they evaluate the season. And I don't think that means 10-2 and two is a disappointment. Um, and it probably doesn't get you a whole lot different, 10-2 and and 11-1. I mean, neither of them are 12-0, which is the ultimate kind of high bar, but that's going to – whenever Brian Kelly retires or gets fired, and after people throw Hosannas his way and they start criticizing him, like that's one of the first games I think people are going to bring up in terms of like, well, he didn't do this, and the next guy will, even though he probably won't. But I I just think that's (laughs) a hard one to, to get by. Yeah, it's like to use the term unforgivable for the Michigan game, I think is maybe a little bit much, but not by a lot. Um, you know, it it's one of those games. It just it it goes on your permanent record. That's sort of what that Michigan that's what the Michigan game was. Um, that's so it, that's tough. It's tough to stomach. You don't move on it, uh, move on from it. And it's like in the my story from yesterday, you know, some people in the comments are talking or one person was mentioning how like you know, why do people keep bringing up the Michigan game? I don't think it defines the season. And I'm like, actually, Brian Kelly also brought up the Michigan game a couple times yesterday. It does define the season. It's one of those situations where you don't really just get to pick like, huh, uh, I'm going to pick something good to define my season. Like, it doesn't work that way. Um, You know, in some ways, uh, you know, you can say that the Michigan game and then what came after it defined the season because I I don't know if we learned much of anything about Notre Dame for the first six games, but we were learning a hell of a lot in the last six. Um, so I think that that's probably the, the better way to look at it. It's like, you don't, you don't get to just say like, ah, Michigan game, whatever. Um, but Notre Dame has sort of leaned into that a little bit. Um, you don't see them sort of say, Hey, Michigan games in the past. Don't even bother asking me about it. They sort of view that as more like we really bottomed out. 
and we learned a lot from it. So even though that game never should have happened the way that it happened, I think you also have to give them at least a small amount of credit from the standpoint that they made something good out of a horrible, wretched, no good, awful situation. Yeah, you see those things go the other way a lot. Um, and Yeah, and I mean, and it almost did against Virginia what? Tech, let's be honest. Right, right. No, it did. And I mean, just look at their schedule now. I mean, <laughs> this may sound like faint praise, but what what do you think is the best win Notre Dame has this season? It's probably yesterday. I meant, I well, well yeah, just, no, I, yeah, Navy was 7-1. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's Yeah, fair. I mean, Navy is not, like, I, I realize it's Navy. They're not a, a Power 5 team. But Notre Dame was up 52-10. to 10. I mean, they, they played them off the field. Um, you know, beyond that, I don't know. Like, I think it's a – the Louisville, SC, Virginia, and Virginia Tech games are all sort of the same. Um, those are, like, slightly above average teams. Some of them have way more talent than the other others. Some are much better coached than the others. Um, but, I mean, but at the end of the year – Louisville's probably going to be seven and five. USC is going to have a winning record. Virginia and Virginia Tech will probably be seven and five, eight and four. Um, you know, are those great wins? No, but Notre Dame got through. Will have swept all those games. That's you know, that's sort of something. I think. I think there are a lot more landmines I mean, on the schedule. What's your best win? Yeah, no, I mean, I when you take in the the venue and body of work, I mean, and with the way the teams might finish, it might be Louisville. As crazy as that sounds, I mean, what they, I mean, in that close loss, people there were like, "Oh, we might go to a bowl this year," and that that was like, you know, if everything breaks right for us, and here they are, six and four with a chance to go eight and four, which I just didn't see happening. Um, but I mean, this schedule had a lot more landmines than than we gave it credit for coming in because Virginia, Virginia Tech, while not, you know. Michigan, UNC, USC in terms of recruiting and, and players, I mean, they're probably going to play each other for the Coastal title at, at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them's going to have a very successful season when they win the, if they win that game. Um, but, and, you know, I, yeah, I, I didn't give Navy enough. Clemson, guys. <laughs> I didn't give Navy enough credit either in terms of this was a, a one-loss Navy team before yesterday. And, I mean, you're probably right in terms of best opponent they've beaten and the manner in which they did it. Um, probably Navy. Yeah, because, I mean, Navy, they have Army, who is way down. Um, I think they have uh, a couple tricky spots coming up here, um, you know, the rest of the way. So it's not – I doubt that Navy's – you're, you're going to look up and see that Navy finished 10-2. and two, But um, it's a – like, Malcolm Perry is, is legit. Um, they're probably going to – they get SMU at home next week, which, yeah, you know, they could get that one. Then they're at Houston. Houston's really bad, and then they have Army. So I don't know. Maybe they, maybe Navy will finish ten and two. Um, you know, at that point, if you if you beat a, I don't care if it's with a your losses to Notre Dame and Memphis, both of them are going to win ten games this year, and one of them will probably be in a, maybe both of them will be in a New Year's Six Bowl. Yeah. I, so like, will Navy fans complain that they didn't beat any good teams like Notre Dame fans, or is that is that different there? <laughs> I think Navy's. I would guess. I don't know this, but. I think the entire boat of your season is whether you beat Army or not, regardless yeah, of what happens before. Yeah, good point. But, I mean, our Navy, our, our Notre Dame fans, you know, it's like 2015. That was an awesome team that came two points short at Stanford, two points short at Clemson, and when all was said and done, what was their best win? 17-point home win over Navy, probably. And that's probably similar here. And yes, I, I don't know if that – Well, by the end of the year, I mean, Navy was better, I think. I could be wrong. 
think they because Temple fell off a little bit and then lost in the AC title game that year. But um, I don't know. I, I, I not to take away from ten and two, but I, I do understand the segment of the fan base that will look back on this year and say, "Oh, great, our best win was against Navy," because that's a team that we beat every year for forty four straight years and, and still should beat on an annual basis, um, regardless of how impressive they looked doing it yesterday. I agree. I, I mean, I, it's kind of one of those things that was, I left my story oh, very open-ended. You know, if you want to believe that Notre Dame has turned a, a corner and is, is improving, great. You know, if you want to believe that Brian Kelly saw this coming in pregame, great. Um, if you don't, that's fine too. You know, I don't, I don't think that Notre Dame has sort of gone beyond a reasonable doubt about, you know, where they are and where this team's going. And that's okay. I mean, I, I don't think that's, that's a, it's really a, you know, a major criticism of them, but they're probably going to finish ten and two. They almost certainly will be in the Camping World Bowl. Um, I realize there are some wishful predictions out there of the Cotton Bowl and some some bowl projection this morning who clearly didn't read the rules who said they could play Florida in the Orange Bowl, which is not true. Um, so, you know, the Camping World Bowl against Iowa State is that going to be a satisfying end of the season? Absolutely not. But that's. That's hey, just all right. You the, could get acquainted with future Notre Dame head coach Matt Campbell. It'll be perfect. God, how slightly awkward will that be? <laughs> um, slightly. <'cause>, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you think that Notre Dame is not well aware of the uh, the love affair with Matt Campbell nationally? Um, it's going to come into full focus uh, for that bowl week. But uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a situation where it is like the bowl breakdown is what it is. In a normal year, ten and two would almost certainly get Notre Dame into a New Year's Six Bowl game, but the way things are have the way the contract bowls shape up and the playoff shapes up this year, the rotation makes it almost impossible. So that's those are the breaks if you're Notre Dame. I think you you have to suck it up, finish eleven and two, and you know, you can look at that as sort of a baseline. I think that's that's probably the best way to look at Notre Dame season is like this is sort of what Notre Dame football should be at a minimum. They should beat pretty much every decent team that they play. They should pound the bad teams, uh, and they sure as hell can't have Michigan-type performances, but you know, a, a Georgia-style performance I think is okay. Um, you know, Winning on the road against ranked teams is really hard. Um, Notre Dame doesn't do it enough. Um, I get that. I get that criticism. But um, if Notre Dame is going to be rolling out 10 and, 10 and 2 regular seasons and winning minor bowl games the year after making the playoff, I think that's okay. I, I think that Notre Dame could probably live with that. Well, they, they only have two true road games next season, so they won't have to worry about that <laughs> at Pitt and oh. at USC. All the other ones have been moved to Green Bay, Charlotte, Mercedes-Benz, and, and Dublin. So going to be a little bit different, and they're going to get a, whoever's coaching Arkansas in week two as well. Um, I, I'm already season. anticipating Arkansas being described as a, quote, SEC team uh, by Brian Kelly in the lead-up for that one. <laughs> also, I feel like Wisconsin in Lambeau Field is sort of a road game, even though technically it's not. Oh, no, look, I mean – it. Wake and Charlotte technically should be. Georgia Tech and Mercedes-Benz should be. But, I mean, Notre Dame fans have a lot of money, and they are well aware of history, and there's nothing cooler, at least from an NFL experience, than going to a game in Lambeau Field. So I expect there to be plenty of Irish fans to migrate oh, yeah. for that one as well. Um, it'll probably play jump around. I don't know if Lambeau's stands can handle it at the end of the third quarter, but it'll be a <laughs> Wisconsin home game. But, I mean, there will be a lot of – no question, there will be a lot of Notre Dame fans there. Uh, but Arkansas SEC team, I'm already picturing that considering they had, I don't think they had a power five win under Chad Morris the last two years. Mm. And I think they were under 500 against group of five teams. So that will be a, uh, that'll be a cool spin job, 
because we have Florida next year. And when yeah. you said Florida, Notre Dame, and the Orange Bowl, which can't happen, I got so excited about the possibility of Malik Zaire coming on this podcast and breaking down both <laughs> teams for us. So maybe we could try to make that happen regardless of the bowl matchup. Uh, in the meantime, I have a project for you, Pete, based on your Twitter feed. I need the oral history of the time Chase Claypool had 10 touchdowns in a single game <laughs> in Canadian football, which was probably you are, like 60-yard You're not the first person and... to request that story, just so you know. Um, Am I the first from The Athletic? Probably not. You are the first from The Athletic, oh, wow. okay. and I was think I, I would sort of like there's an interesting story to tell about uh, Chase Claypool and sort of the support he has back home right. from Abbotsford. I think after the Virginia Tech game, he had six coaches from sort of high school and middle school that came out to the game. Uh, and that's been a pretty regular thing over his his career here, which I, I think is just sort of interesting for a, a senior four years removed from the middle of nowhere in British Columbia uh, to have that kind of support back home. So I got to make some calls on Monday, I guess. Uh, I got to I got to figure out <laughs> these these ten touchdowns, how I'm they were pic- scored. <laughs> I'm because, literally like, picturing the Geico commercial with Jerome Bettis <laughs> just running over people. Yeah, I guys think that's basically <laughs> what it was. Because uh, Brian Kelly's commentary on it was, they saw his football stats and were like, "What? Come on!" Um, and then they went out and saw him play basketball, and that was the same reaction. It was like, "Who? Who is he playing against?" Because right. I think. He averaged about five touchdowns per game his senior year and 40 points per game in basketball. Um, <laughs> and I get it. He's a really good athlete, and he's huge. But, I mean, come on. Um, that's that's not how that's supposed to work. Well, it's so. like Chuba Hubbard, and people have the same questions about him, and now he like, I mean, he's Mike Bacon to New York is a Heisman finalist. Our boy Jason Kersey has just voted for him number one for the second straight week. Yes, I did just spoil um, – who was the lone athletic person not to vote Joe Burrow number one last week, but it's not going to be unanimous again because Jason Kersey has two and one. And I have him at three. I mean, he's really, really, really good. And I understand why people have reservations about who you're playing in high school. But, you know, I think Chase Claypool, Chuba Hubbard, all the other greats who have not had the traditional uh, recruiting background have put those questions to bed because those guys can absolutely play. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was impressive to watch. I mean, it, I think before the season started, I said Claypool was kind of as close to Michael Floyd as Notre Dame was going to get. Um, and for parts of the season, I was kind of like, eh, maybe I shouldn't have said that. But <laughs> he really has come on late, and um, he's he's definitely ending his Notre Dame career on a on a high note, which was not always a sure thing um, as he grew up here and went through went through a lot of uh, maturation and growing pains, but. It's all happening right now, and um, I think he's now he is on track for a thousand yard season. I, I think before the season, I thought kind of sixty, seventy catches, eleven hundred yards, ten to thirteen touchdowns, and uh, that that's all like in view for him now. Um, you know, they tied the single game right. record of Maurice Stovall for receiving touchdowns in a game from uh, two thousand five against BYU, and Brady Quinn was throwing those passes, so that was um, kind of a, a, a different. A different time and place for Notre Dame's pass game, but uh, yeah, Claypool is is really rolling right now. It's fun to watch. Weekends are made for football, and with so many college and pro games on the slate, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can make your weekend even better. Actually, now that I think about it, with all the hoops and hockey action going on, the DraftKings Sportsbook app can get you in on the action 24-7, 365 days a year. DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app, and with so much going on, they have great promotions running all month long. 
This week, DraftKings has pro football promo you won't want to miss. It's simple. Just place a bet on Indianapolis to win and get $6 for every touchdown they score. And if you're a, a Colts fan, a Notre Dame fan, a little uh, Quentin Nelson action is probably something that you're going to want to tune into anyway. And don't forget, the DraftKings Sportsbook app has in-game betting so you can bet on the games while they're happening. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use the code FAST. For a limited time, all new and existing users can get a deposit bonus of up to $500. That's code FAST for all the new and existing users to get a deposit bonus of up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Indiana only. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Got to ask, being there for the end of the sellout streak, was it weird? Do you notice any difference? Or do you just go into it? Just no, saying, oh, you know what? They, if they, it was kind of one of those games where if, if Notre Dame had insisted that the game had sold out, we would have been like, all right, that's fine. Um, which I definitely would have made my laugh if Notre Dame had, <laughs> Notre Dame had assumed and announced the end of a sellout streak only to have the game sell out. Um, But it was close. I mean, it looked close. They were off by about 3,000 fans. Um, That's, you know, there was very little about the stadium that would make you think that it was any different from any any other home game that I've covered. Um, And I've been at all of them. So it, um, it, yeah, it it definitely did not feel any different. Um, I would expect Boston College maybe to be somewhat similar. I mean, the weather was really nice yesterday. The the weather was better yesterday than it was against Virginia Tech two weeks earlier. Hmm. Um, so maybe maybe that helped a little bit. You know, the sun was out, which is great for everybody, unless you're in the press box staring into it. <laughs> um, it was yeah, it was it was a cool day. I mean, it, it definitely did not. It didn't feel like oppressive November weather, which South Bend uh, definitely has had some of already. Just glad we didn't call this podcast the sellouts, which we do have a podcast on the Athletic Network yes. called the Sellouts. Our great Nebraska writers, Max Olson and Mitch Sherman. Uh, by the way, uh, Scott Frost getting a two-year extension in the middle of this year. What I mean, took me back to some Charlie Weiss uh, moments. That's for sure. <laughs> I, I hope the buyout is pretty mitigating there, but um, no, that that one's just surprising as we talk about how salaries and buyouts and all that are are uh, out of control, and as we see Florida State and Arkansas pay a small fortune to make their guys go away two years in, thought that was interesting. But hey. Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I thought a little bit about sort of Notre Dame and the perception of Notre Dame and Brian Kelly as I'm watching Texas lose to Iowa State and, you know, what happened at Nebraska, um, losing to Wisconsin. Like, sometimes when you have it good, like, that should be acknowledged every now and again. Um, and Notre Dame has it, has it good right now. They're right at um, 31 wins over a three-year span. They'll probably get to 33 wins, uh, maybe 34 wins in a three-year span. Like that's, I understand that people want to win at Georgia uh, or not not have what happened at Michigan happen again, but um, Notre Dame is in a very stable place right now, which is, which is not something I have seen a whole lot of in my 19 years covering this program. Hey, the, the only guy who beat Georgia this year had to have his athletic director put out a statement Friday saying he's not getting fired this year. So uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a very uh, interesting business, interesting time of the year when uh, you're getting, un- well, not unprompted, but you're getting emails in your inbox saying, like, I'll say it again. He will be our coach next year, um, which he should be. Will Muschamp, that is, at South Carolina. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – I'm with you. Good place right now. Good place to be. Michigan notwithstanding. 10-2 is is 
is what should happen and I think probably will happen. And, uh, you know, let the cards fall where they may be uh, as it comes to the bowl game. The Iowa State one would be interesting for the reasons we discussed. I don't know from a football standpoint how satisfying that would be, but it's a team you definitely got to take seriously because especially in bowl games like that, I mean, that's that's a, a team like that's opportunity to, to really announce themselves on a national stage. And we saw them almost do that last week at Oklahoma with a stirring fourth quarter comeback, and they obviously won in Norman two years earlier as well. So, uh I'll stop pumping up Matt Campbell for the job and just take it away from here, Pete. <laughs> yeah, it would be the the first ever meeting between uh, Notre Dame and Iowa State. Notre Dame has played Iowa uh, 24 times, and they've played Iowa pre-flight twice, but never Iowa State. So Got to get Drake on the schedule. Brian Harden can make that happen. Yeah, I mean, that, oof, what a draw that would be. They've never played uh, FCS teams, but or is that, are they FCS or are they D2? I think they're FCS. Um, if they were D2, you, know, you could you still sell that. <laughs> certainly a, a chance at Oklahoma State as well. That would be another first-time opponent. Not nearly as interesting, although a Brian Kelly-Mike Gundy joint press conference might be a good time. That would be something. Drake is uh, FCS, by the way. So, yeah, they will not be coming to South Bend anytime soon. Uh, now, the mullet and Brian Kelly, that would be that'd be something. Now now I'm trying to picture that. Down, down at Disney World, riding roller coasters together. <laughs> Just two coaches with nothing in common. Um, so, but <laughs> pretty much, yeah, it's just like that's that's just again we talked about it. It's like that's the nature of the bull situation for Notre Dame this year. It's it's a bad year to go ten and two and have a a real a, a scarlet letter hung around your neck against Michigan because um, they they needed to be higher than Florida or Georgia or Alabama, one of the four, and it's just it's not going to happen um, the way things are going right now. So. The, you would have to have a real shock down the stretch. Like Florida would have to lose to Vanderbilt or Florida State. Um, and I just don't think that's going to happen nope. the way things are going. So that's sort of that's what bounces you to the Camping World Bowl, unfortunately. what The, uh, the top heaviness of the SEC is definitely working against Notre Dame this year, and that may put them in Orlando for, uh, for bowl season this year. And that's yeah, – again, it's, for some people it's going to be an unsatisfying 10-2 and two year. For other people, I think – They'll look at it and be like, hey, this is at least a good foundation for the program. But um, that's you know, Notre Dame can't be any better than 10 and 2 this year. Um, and right now they're playing well on their way to getting there. And, you know, they beat LSU in that bowl two years ago. And it was their first New Year's bowl in, in 24 years, I think. So it's first time for everything. Well, second time in this case, but um, it's not nothing. No. That's uh, I think it might be the the motto of Notre Dame's season. It's not nothing. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll have to figure out what we're going to do for our Thursday bonus podcast. Um, do you think you can get Steve Adazio to come on with us? I feel like he'd be pretty entertaining. You know, we had him on. <laughs> quick, quick story. When I was at ESPN, we would do these weekly shows called Spreecast, which were basically like four of us Skype together, and we'd have a new guest every week. And we had Steve Adazio the week of Florida State, which was also the Red Bandana game in 2015. And, you know, he talked about that, which was really engaging and emotional. And then he just got talking about Dalvin Cook. It was, I think, Dalvin's freshman or sophomore year. And, you know, (laughs) we had something about sleep, getting sleep this week, and he's going on and on about having these nightmares of Dalvin Cook running over his braid and running over his defense. And it was very, very engaging, which is a, a long way of saying, like, yeah, if we could get him to maybe talk about working in Notre Dame in the Bob Davey era and, and going up against Notre Dame this week, 
that would be something. I, I wouldn't count on it. I think he's got some pretty pressing matters uh, of his own to tend to this week. But All right, we'll, be, po- we'll, we'll for shoot for post-game. How about our next post-game podcast? You can come up to the press box. Well, another, Steve, so at the uh, Fenway Park game in 2015, um, which Boston College almost stole from Notre Dame during a the year they went 3-9, uh, he he found Andrew Adelson, my ESPN colleague at the time, post game, and she's like, he basically blindsided me. He's like, "Did you see that, Andrew? Did you see that? Oh, we were so close. Just wait till next." And it was just like he's just the most enthusiastic, excitable guy in the world, and it's just admirable in a sense because it hasn't always been smooth sailing in, in, in Chestnut Hill, but uh, he's made it uh, very entertaining, at least from the outside looking in. Yeah, he seems like a fun dude to cover. Uh, he's he's a dude. That's that's for sure. Yeah. Well, on that note, I think we'll exit our uh, post-game wrap-up of Notre Dame Navy and our 30 seconds spent on Ohio State Rutgers as well. Because, um, you know, we want to Matt feel like Matt is justified in his trip to New York City. This hey, weekend. you know what? You, you, I got the good game last week in Minneapolis. You got the good game. Well, I guess your game wasn't that great. It was a blowout, too. But you got a better game than I did this weekend. Comes and goes. <laughs> yes, but you're in Manhattan. I'm in South Bend. So let's not let's not gloss. But I was in Piscataway a few hours ago, and and that stink doesn't just wipe off you so cleanly. All right. Well, on that note, we're going to let Matt get to a shower um, that he's going (laughs) to need to sit in for the next half hour, and we'll be back Thursday with our bonus episode of the Shamrock uh, with a to be named guest. But we're we're not going to hold out hope for Steve Adazio for for that one. But until Thursday, you've been listening to another edition of the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined as always by Matt Fortuna. Thanks for listening.